Blog Talk Radio. song was from one of the greatest movies ever, Blade. Uh, welcome to the August 7th edition of RoboGuard Radio. I'm your host, KZ. I'm joined on the line by my co-host, Alex Saint. Um, this episode of RoboGuard Radio is brought to you by FogCityWrestling.com. Uh, for all the information on Fog City, you can check out their website and WrestleWarehouse.com. Uh, WrestleWarehouse just released two new sheet interviews, which were conducted by myself. Uh, the first one for 1999 is a two-disc interview with the Ballard Brothers. Uh, disc one is a two-and-a-half-hour shoot interview. The second disc is a some of their best matches from SoCal Pro Wrestling in San Diego. And the other shoot interview for $14.99, well worth the money, uh, the natural one, Michael Modest. Uh, Mike just goes on for about two hours and 45 minutes of just some awesome shit. Uh, just really good stuff. Uh, but before we get running, um, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the NWA SoCal Pro Wrestling Control Center for an update. Welcome to the NWA Wrestling and SoCal Pro Report. SoCal Pro returns to Boys and Girls Club in Oceanside on Saturday night, August 9th. Bell time, 7 p.m. Featuring Jason Redondo, Johnny Goodtime, Adam Pierce, Tommy Wilson, SoCal Crazy, the Ballard Brothers, Cool Imagery, and more. On our wrap-up from the last SoCal Pro event, we'll hear from the Ballard Brothers, A, Tommy Wilson and Scrap Iron, Adam Pierce's first interview with SoCal Pro since, well, I'll let him explain what's happened. Here we go. In the tag team division, Canada's gift to professional wrestling, the Ballard Brothers faced cool imagery. It wasn't as much the Ballard Brothers winning as Cool Imagery making a mistake and one partner knocking out the other. The Ballard Brothers made these comments. The SoCal officials are still working on it, but it sounds like there's going to be a rematch. The Ballard Brothers against Cool Imagery at the next SoCal event in August. What? A rematch? A rematch? We already beat them. Why do we have to keep coming down here to Southern California? Why can't they come up to Canada where real men and real women are? Yeah. That is totally correct. Why would we have to give them a rematch? What did they do to deserve that? They hit each other and we beat them, yet we planned it and they get a rematch? How is that fair to us? That that is the American way. That's what you people call the American way. And it's not. It's not right. Yeah, you have them come up to Canada where they have to face the elements and they have to face us. And let's see how they feel about that. Yeah, let's have a match outside in Canada right now. Uh, see if they don't come out with and t- even take their ring jackets off. They'll be scared to come out there to Canada and wrestle us outside or inside. It doesn't matter. In SoCal Pro's July main event, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion Adam Pierce faced Tommy Wilson. 
In a match that involved more than the two participants and the referee, perhaps some brass knuck, Tommy Wilson was disqualified. Tommy made these comments right after the match. We'll follow those with comments that Adam Pierce made since his last defense of the NWA World Heavyweight Championship on August 2nd in New York City. You know, this is just like Vanderpile, Redondo, Pierce, and TNT. The fact is, I hit the moonsault on Pierce tonight, and I had him beat. TNT had to come down, and he interfered in my match. And now SoCal Crazy, he may have got me disqualified, but I don't blame him for one second. Because, see, he was coming to my aid, and I appreciate that. But you, TNT, you, Pierce, Redondo, Vanderpile, I'm coming for you guys. See, you're scared. Pierce, you've never been able to beat me. A DQ means nothing. You know it, I know it. I've pinned you twice right to the mat. One, two, three. I've done it in San Diego. I've done it in L.A. I'll do it in Charlotte. I'll do it in San Antonio. I'll do it in New York City, Canada. I don't care where we go. I will pin you to the mat the next time that we meet up, whether it's a tag match or for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. But, Pierce, there's going to come a day when you and I are going to meet for that title one more time, and I'm going to get you. Whether Vanderpile's there, whether Redondo and TNT show up, it's not going to matter. Because there will be a day when I pin you to the mat, one, two, three, and I become the rightful NWA World Champion. The belt that is rightfully mine, and you know it! Why? Because Scrap Iron Adam Pierce said so. August 9th, 2008, is one of those days that people are going to talk about especially in the Southern California area, because that is the day when I, the Scrap Daddy, Scrap Iron Adam Pierce, am going to face off once again with a man who uh, has a propensity for being a thorn in my side. We're talking about one Tommy Wilson. And the NWA affiliate SoCal Pro Wrestling is sanctioning another bout between us. Last time for SoCal Pro, Tommy Wilson took me to the limit in an NWA World Heavyweight Championship defense. And it came out short. This time, (laughs) this time, Wilson, the stakes are different. You see, this was scheduled to be another world title defense. But unless you're living under a rock, you know that on the 2nd of August in New York City, I was beaten for the title by Brent Albright. And that still doesn't feel right to say. See, Wilson, you have the unfortunate, the unfortunate tag of being my first opponent. The unfortunate task, my brother, of being my first opponent since losing the world title. Do you know what that means, Wilson? That means you should prepare in a few short days for unmitigated violence. You are going to be my proverbial whipping boy. Because all the frustration, you know, it's been over 11 months since I first faced Albright in Puerto Rico. So we've got 11 months of frustration because he's been a thorn in my side for one way or another. And now the man's taken my gold. And it's you, Tommy Wilson, it's you that are going to pay for it. You had nothing to do with me losing the title. But you're going to be a byproduct of the rage that has been born inside me, Wilson, because I have nothing, and I repeat, nothing on my mind except regaining the famous ten pounds of gold. And that makes you nothing but a stepping stone. 
and not even really that, Wilson, because I don't need to beat you to get a title shot. I'm afforded a rematch by the NWA, and I'll have one. But in the meantime, Tommy Wilson, I hope you bring your friends and family. Because Oceanside, California, August 9th for SoCal Pro Wrestling, there's going to be a funeral. All of my frustration, all of my pent-up anger, every ounce, every single ounce of angst that I can muster is going to be unleashed on you. Every single ounce of pain that I can inflict is going to be on you. Every single ounce, Tommy Wilson, of retribution that I can get is going to come for beating on you. You see, I'm like an animal, a cat, a wild cat backed into a corner. I've got no chance except for fighting. And luckily for this cat, Tommy Wilson, I love to fight. So I'm going to use you as a pawn. I'm going to use you as a sparring partner, as it were. But I'm not going to give it an easy ride for you. I'm going to pounce. I'm going to claw. I'm going to scratch. I'm going to fight. I'm going to bite. I'm going to do everything that I do. Everything that made me a world's champion. Times ten. Tommy, you've wrestled for quite a long time. But you've never faced a man the likes of me. Especially in my current situation. I will see you August 9th. Oceanside Boys and Girls Club, NWA and SoCal Pro Wrestling is going to present your end, Tommy Wilson. I hope you've prepared for it. See you at the Oceanside Boys and Girls Club on Saturday at 7 p.m. Jason Redondo defending the SoCal Pro Heavyweight Championship against Johnny Goodtime. Adam Pierce versus Tommy Wilson. In the TNT Gauntlet Challenge, SoCal Crazy goes up against the mystery opponent. The Ballard Brothers versus Cool Imagery in a rematch. And Camara versus LTP. Great seats available at the door for SoCal Pro Wrestling. Wow. What do you think of that one, Alex? Was that done with a speaking spell? Like, what, what was, that was the robot man. Hey, whatever, Come dude. to SoCal Pro Wrestling this Saturday. See Adam Pierce. Yeah, but dude, that Adam Pierce promo was intense, brother. Oh yeah, it was, yeah. Adam's Adam. He's amazing. So, so uh, Mr. Saint, while while we're waiting for uh, the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez to call in, um, I understand you you have a couple things to get off your chest. Oh, so, I got I got two brother? things. I got two things I got to get off my chest real quickly. Um. I actually have more than a couple of things, depending on how much time we have. Um, Plenty of time. So, okay, first of all, uh, watching the Jerry Jarrett shooter review that Rob RF did, and usually uh, the shooter reviews I've seen, they have either Rob or Eric Gargiulo do them, and they're really good, right? Well, this Jerry Jarrett one, they have, who's the guy that's doing it? Sean the Mick McCaffrey, the guy who, who runs the uh, Declaration Uh-oh. of Independence. This guy is horrid. This guy, does he do the DOI shoots too? Yes. Okay, there's going to be no buys for me because this guy is the worst interview I've ever heard of. He, at one point, he asked Jerry, Can, do you have any good Spudnik McRow or J- Jimmy Valiant stories? Like, what? It's not, oh, my goodness. I, oh, my goodness. Luckily, I'm interested in Jerry Jarrett because he has a lot of history in the business. But God, this interview was bad. 
and B, Chikara using James Ross, this guy was horrid. This guy, Steve, what's the deal with Steve the Turtle Wiener? He's not a real wrestler, but what's the deal with him? I don't know. I don't know either, but I know he's not a real wrestler. And then the fucking snake got a good match out of him, which was amazing to me. But the, the, the Syrian portal, fucking best young tag team in the business, period, point blank. Um, man, they're good. But, um, yeah, the snake got a damn good match with Steve the Turtle Winer. But this James Ross or James, whatever his name was, faced Drake Younger, first round Young Lions Cup, worst wrestler I've ever seen in my life. And Drake beat the crap out of him, and I enjoyed it. I wish Drake would drop him on his head or neck or something to make me laugh even more. But this guy was horrible. Why Quackenbush books him, I have no idea. Guy yeah, was the worst day I've ever seen in my life. And them making fun of Lindsay's concussion, I don't like either. I'm not a fan of that. Mm-hmm. But hey, the WWE well, just released Braden Walker. Yeah. Well, back to TNA goes Chris Harris. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go, buddy. That's good, suck. Wow. What are your thoughts on uh, UFC 87 this Saturday? I'm trying to pull the car right out. Honestly, man, this one's snucking under the radar for me. I don't even know who's fighting. I know GSP's fighting Fitch. Brock is going to get knocked out by Heath Herring. Um, I feel bad for Brock. This is a horrible fight for him. This is this is point blank. Bad fight. It's, yeah, it's Not dangerous. A, Oh, it's not just dangerous. It's bad. He's, oh, my goodness. He, he's, he's, I don't see a way for Brock to come out of this fight. I mean, Heath, unless Heath is, I don't know. I've seen Heath had, what was that one fight night where Heath had a horrible performance? Jake O'Brien? Yeah, I guess Jake O'Brien. Yeah. He had a horrid performance in that one. Because, I mean, Jake O'Brien, I mean, he's not in Heath level. But Heath had a crappy performance. But um, I don't know, man. Brock's big. Brock's Brock's scary. Brock, he's a he's a wild card. You know, you really don't know what he's learned in that period of time. And then there's mm-hmm. you know there's guys who are like that. You know, like George Saint Pierre. You know, like if you give Saint Pierre some time, he'll be able to beat you. You know. Mm-hmm. But um, now, Brock, now, I watched this morning. I watched the uh, Spike TV, the uh, UFC countdown to UFC, the pre-show, and okay. I I am I am in agreement. I agree with Dana White that. The Roger Huerta, uh, Ken Kenny Kenflo or uh, Ribs McFlorian could uh, possibly be the fight of the year. You know what? Um, Fifty-five is given great fights, but I don't care because I know none of them can beat BJ. So it's just like a throwaway fight. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not building for anything because all you're building is to face the, the best fighter, pound for pound, you know, maybe pound for pound the world right now. You know. Now that uh, Fyodor Emelianenko ain't fighting on a regular basis. But, I mean, this guy may be pound for pound the best fighter in the world. And, um, I don't know, it's just like you're feeding the sacrificial lambs, you know? Well, um, let's, let's pick them. We have a this – is, this is, we're going to have our, our UFC 87 preview show tomorrow night. But since I got you online, we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, Fitch, my boy John Fitch from American Kickboxing Academy in San Jose taking on GSP. What are your feelings and thoughts, Alex? My goodness, you know this is a. I might I might have to go back and watch some more Fitch fights because uh, Fitch is one of those guys. He just keeps winning, but I really don't pay too close attention to his fights. Um, Pierre, Pierre's. Oh it's hard. I can, I'd have to. I'll, I'll call in tomorrow and I have to make a choice on that one. That one's hard. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that, I, one, that one's real hard. I, I put $100 down on John Fitch. Oh, so my goodness. But GSP can beat him, though. You know, GSP can beat him. Yeah, but I, I have faith in the AKA dojo. So, yeah. And I've seen Fitch since the beginning, and, and Fitch is just – he's a – He's just got raw talent, um, arguably top five 170-pounder in the world. Yeah, but GSP's arguably top two, top three. That's tough. All right, Kenny Florian, Roger Horta. Florian's taking it because every time I pick against Kenny Florian, that little bastard wins. So I'm picking Kenny Florian to win in the hopes that Roger Huerta whoops his ass. Well, what's this I hear about Wares to want to leave UFC? Is he crazy? Where's he going? Dream. Dream. Okay, listen. <laughs> listen, Roger Wares. <laughs> These guys. You know what? If, if if Somebody needs to call Randy Couture and ask him how, how good it was that he left UFC. Because right now, he, he ain't doing nothing. He looked. Everyone says that uh, the Affliction show, he looked upset. Because uh, Fjordor won that fight in such a devastating manner. No, I think he looked upset because he ain't doing nothing. He's going to he's going to fight shows. That's all he's doing. I have to agree. Where's he gonna go? Where is Werther really gonna go? Oh my goodness! Where? Yeah, well, Werther, go to Dream and you'll fight. Uh, you know all the other. All, I mean, Dream. I mean, I've not seen any of the stuff. But apparently they got some good fighters over there, Shinna uh, Aoki and JV uh, Calvin and all these guys. But I mean, it's, it's do you want to make money or do you want to fight against? You know, like do you want to? I don't know. You know, UFC's trying to make this kid a star. You know, they've protected him. You know, I don't know. Maybe he's got a big head because they've kind of been selective with. I mean, the first real guy he fought was freaking Clay Guida. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, let me look at his record. Maybe he fought somebody. That he beat that you know ended up being good. I, I can't. No. He didn't get Tyson Griffin yet, did he? No, he's not had Tyson. No. I mean, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at his record. I mean, none of these names really look familiar to me that he's beaten. I mean, from from the time he entered in UFC, he's beat Jason Dent, John Halverson, Leonard Garcia, Doug Evans, Alberto Crane, and and Clay Guida. So I mean, those couple of them are elite, but you know. Yeah, and and he got lucky with Guida. I mean, oh, he got lucky. He got with knocked on his ass, and and I think. Mind you, that fight showed how tough he was. I didn't think he was tough. I thought he was just a pretty boy. But he ended up going in there and, and fighting it out with Clay Guida, and I got, I gained a lot of respect for him. But he's 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 ridiculous. Kim Flo's gonna beat him. I mean, I want Ware to win. I want Ware to snap out of this thinking he's gonna leave UFC. Dana White's right. Ware's stupid, thinking he's gonna leave. Um, I don't know. Brock Brock Lozner, yes, he's Herring. Herring's gonna, oh my goodness, Herring's gonna. I don't know. Him. I, I can see it. Him I can out see of it contract. Nah, I can see it happening. Brock, Brock, you shouldn't have cut those ties with New Japan. There you go. Well, let's. You um, know what? There's some. There, there, there's some news out there. Um, there's going to be a pre-sale for Affliction Two in Vegas at the Thomas and Mack Center. Uh, the show will be on. October 11th, headlined by Andre Arlovsky against Josh Barnett. In Fiora hurt his hand, huh? Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to be a, a contender fight. So the winner will get uh, on Dream or on Affliction Three will get Fedora Emelianenko. Sure, and sure, I bet he will. <laughs> tickets are available now until Saturday, or 
and you can get them through Ticketmaster with the password Reckoning. So call in and get your tickets. Um, if not, just hang around outside the building. They'll give you a ticket. Sure. I bet I bet they're going to get Fjordor. Um, Fjord, Fjordor was supposed to fight Andre Lotsky in, like, Chicago or something, I heard. My God, that's affliction. I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope someone – oh, my goodness. I don't know. It's it's just like it's like TNA with WWE. It's like you can't you got to make your own name. I mean, you can't you can't come in and try to be. Oh my goodness, I don't know. No one, I don't I don't know. I mean, they, they did they did good for that first pay per view though. But I mean, it was all UFC promote, promoting them. <laughs> they did good for the first pay per view. But I mean, I don't know. I wish Josh Barnett would just come to UFC. And I wish everyone else. I don't know. It's sad. Matt Lindland is Peter Belfort. Where Matt Lindland's making like a half a million dollars. Actually, that 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 fight should be good. Lindland and Vitor. That should be fun. Yeah, Matt Lindland's no buys though. Matt Matt Lindland is literally no buys. Like I, I don't know. I, I, and then everyone. It made me laugh so hard when when Belfort finally got hit a hit a strike and knocked the guy out. Who was he facing? Oh. Um, who was he facing? Black guy, Terry, Terry Evans, Martin. right? Terry Martin, Terry Martin. Terry Martin. When he knocked out Terry Martin, everyone's like, the phenom's back. No, Vitor Belfort's not back. And if he ever comes back, he'll just break his hand again. The day Vitor Belfort is not coming back ever. And everyone wants him to come back, but it's done. It's been done since 1999. Wow. Really cynical today, Alex. Jeez. No, I mean, am I wrong? Am I, everyone's every, UFC wanted it. Every fighting organization in the world has wanted the 19-year-old Vitor Belfort to walk into their door and be marketable. It's just not happening. It's not happening for Vitor. It's unfortunate. It really is. But it's not going to happen for young Vitor. He's not going to be that guy everyone wants him to be. I mean, how many runs did UFC give him? How many runs? There was the original run when he broke his hand after he beat Tank Abbott. They tried to push him then. Then they tried to push him when he came back. And Couture beat him, and then he uh, came back for Ultimate Brazil, where he had that that knockout of Vandalay. But what happened to him? Didn't he break his hand again and had to go? And then he came back to uh, face Couture again. No, to face Marvin Eastman. And then he got that Couture match, and then Couture beat him again after he sliced open Couture's eye. It's you know UFC tried for years, and Pride tried with him too. When remember when Vitor was going to be the jujitsu guy? I'm not striking anymore. I'm in pride. I want to be the jujitsu guy, and then mm-hmm. that got over. And I mean, this, this is not meant to be for Vitor. He's meant to be a mid card act somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't build your company around Vitor Belfort. Don't build your company around Matt Lindland. Matt Lindland, he's only had one good fight that I've been able to stay awake through, and that was against Bill Baroni. That's because Phil Baroni comes to fight. Phil Baroni gives you a damn entertaining fight, and that's the only fight I was ever able to stay away for. Matt Lennon's probably a good guy, a good coach. I just can't stay away for his fights. He's a very boring man. He's a good fighter, but he's not oh my elite. Yeah, he's not elite. I don't know. I, I heard I heard uh, on Brian's show they were talking about uh, the reason there was rumors that he got let go because they were afraid he was going to beat Rich. Fra- he wasn't going to beat Rich Franklin. Franklin would have knocked him out. Um, I don't know. I mean, him and Belfort, I don't know. What do you do? And uh, Andre Orlovsky against uh, Josh Barnett, that equals no buys. 
I only want to see it because I like Barnett. Barnett's always awesome. I like Barnett. Barnett, Barnett's like that that guy who's just I don't know. He's awesome. He's into pro wrestling. He's real fat and he fights. He's awesome. You know. I like Josh Barnett. I have to agree. Well, Barnett's always been fun. He's always been a uh, a good fighter. Um, always you know gives it his all. And um, but we we do have a little bit of news. Um, we have up the upcoming schedule for Chikara Pro uh, on. Eight, nine, I want to talk about Manny Gambarian against Rob Emerson. Hey, relax. Why does Rob have a contract? This is it for him. Uh, it is and, it uh, for him. Gambarian's going to dump him on his head. And after it's going to be like an all-Japan fight. After Manny's fight, he's going to go down to WEC, I feel, and go after Faber. Oh, goodness. That's going to be the next one they're going to feed to Faber, huh? Mm-hmm. You know, now, before I was rudely interrupted... <laughs> Alex, this Saturday in Reading, Pennsylvania, Chikara Pro, and on the 10th at the New Alhambra in Philadelphia, and Hell yeah. September 6th in Easton, Pennsylvania at the Palmer Community Center, and 9-7 at the Alhambra, and 9-20 in Streamwood, Illinois at the Streamwood Park District Community Center. To get any info for Chikara Pro would be ChikaraPro.com or this one's for you, Dan. ChikaraFans.com. Sea uh, Donsters are taking the belt on Saturday. Who? Sea Donsters are taking the belt on Saturday. You think so? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's my beef with Chikara this year. Uh, Jimmy Jimmy Jam, they continue to not listen to the fans and push this man as a Rudo when he's clearly a Technico. He clearly. He's so over. Mm. Slack, listen now, to the fans. Now, now, I I think that they're going to uh, the Sea Donsters are going to are going to win the straps because to be honest, it does not make economic sense for Chikara to keep bringing in Delirious. It does not make sense. It costs and the too Sea much Donsters money. are stupid over. There it is. There it is. Okay, Sea we're waiting Don- for we're waiting for Raging Bull Manny Fernandez to call in. Um, looks like he's probably not going to call in. But in the second on hour, Sunday, we will have... Well, I was going to talk about Alex, Sunday, relax, relax, dog. Relax, dog. Okay? Relax. In the second hour, we'll be joined by independent journeyman, the American kickboxer, which should be a fun discussion. But anyway, Sunday. Sunday show. It looks awesome as well. You got Drake Younger against Ben Garrard, which is going to be awesome. And then... I don't uh, like... Okay, you know what? I don't like Jake or Drake Younger. Really? Yeah, the deathmatch stuff has just really soured me on him. But I need to be careful, and because we're going to discuss Drake Younger, because he was trained by the American Kickboxer. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about him and the other Naptown Dragons. You know when uh, uh, I'm not I'm not a fan. I mean, uh, let me say the word. I, I don't. Drake is not a guy that I'm a huge huge fan of, but he is just retardedly over everywhere he goes, and I just I I find interest in his matches. It's not like oh they're they're classics by no means, but he's doing something right to get that stupid over. Ever even in Chikara, he's just stupid over. I don't know. I just never been able to really get into his stuff. Just you know, he's got that label as as a deathmatch guy, and um, yeah, it's just a, not not my thing. Now, did you get a chance to watch the Mike Modest shoot? No, not got a chance to watch it yet. Watch the balance shoot, though. 
Well, all right. Well, what'd you think of the Ballard shoot? Ballard shoot was good. Ballard shoot was real good. Uh, Ballards have done a lot. Ballards are uh, even even Jeff was saying, you know, like they've done a lot, but you can't find a lot on the internet about them. So it was just real interesting hearing a lot of stuff they had done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't get love. You know, it's it's a shame. You know, just because they've been around forever, they've they've done everything, they've been everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you 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 need to watch the modest shoot. It's just an amazing, you know, thing. And now, um, since I have you live on the air, I want you to critique me as an interviewer for the shoot interview. How how was my interview style, and how how did I come across? You cut me off from talking about Chikara. I'm sad this weekend. Two amazing shows to talk about. I don't know. You know what? I'm not. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to leave it up to the people. I'm going to leave it up to the people. The people need to buy shoes from Russell Warehouse. This is what. This is all you're going to get out of me. They need to go to Russell Warehouse to buy the shoot interviews, and then they can they can critique you. Ah, uh, damn it, Alex! Come on. I you know I, I want honest opinions. That's all you you're know, Jeff's get. not going to. Jeff's not going to give me an honest opinion, you know, because, you know, he wants me to do others with him. So I'm I not going to get a straight answer. I want to talk to Manny Fernandez. My goodness. This is disappointing, Manny. He's not calling. Well, I'm I'm blowing up his phone, so I, I'm hoping that he calls in. Um, actually, uh, Derek Bergen, if you're listening, we are eagerly awaiting your reviews of these shoot interviews. So get to work, young Derek. Get to work. Um, and tomorrow, uh, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern, we're going to be on for an hour. We're going to have a UFC preview show, and Rubber Guard Radio will meet the drunk cast. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a double shot, an hour with me on Rubber Guard, and then we're going to hit up with Ed in San Antonio for the drunk cast. You can search blogtalkradio.com, Ed in San Antonio, for that information. And uh, we're going to try... You know, try to do a little double shot there and see what happens. Uh, we'll we'll run down the full lineups for UFC 87 and you know talk a bunch of shit, drink some beer, and be merry. So, uh, what else is going on there, brother? I'm pissed that Pierce lost the belt. I wanted to see that red belt live. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I just really wanted. That was the thing I was looking most forward to this Saturday. Is uh, <laughs> no, that's not a bad Jeff. It's a good show. Um, I wanted to see the red you, belt though. Did you hear they signed the rematch for next month in Mexico City? For no, Mexico? I did not hear that. I did not yeah. hear that. When are they running that Mexico show? Uh, there's one next month. Oh, wow. Good, good. Awesome. Sounds fun. Um, no, I did not hear that. Um, Adam hopefully beats him. I just want to see the red belt. He's got it for the rest of the year. I just want to see it live. It looks cool. I'm a, I'm a mark for that kind of shit, you know, like different gear, different belts. I like that when the warrior changed the color of his belt. I like that shit. Tremendous, tremendous. Like, Alrighty, I, I on, don't the, know. on the line, we have NWA legend, the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. How you doing, Bull? Yeah, doing good, man. Man, I'm sorry about the little delay. One of my students ran off with my phone in his car, and he didn't realize it until you guys kept buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. He realized he rushed back here, and I said, I'll break your little neck. <laughs> it's all good, brother. Now, now, now be- before we get into this, um, I have one question. Right off the bat, please explain the term switch. 
for me, please. Switch? Mm-hmm. That's what they used to call me because I was off and on. It's like a light switch. If I was off, you got the shit beat on you. If I was on, we wrestled like a son of a bitch. There you go. All right, Alex. It's all you, brother. Wow. What's up, so, Alex? How you doing tonight, bro? Hey, what's going on? You, you know what? You, it's amazing. Like, uh, you're one of those guys that just had a long career, and it was a – you're just really good your entire career. So uh, Yeah, you know. Go ahead. Go ahead, Alex. <laughs> I was, I was just going to say, um, so you, uh, you went to West Texas State. Now, did you go to who all did you go uh, when during your time at West Texas? Who else was there? Tito Santana, Tolly Blanchard, Barry Windham, me. That was the last uh, quality group of West Texas guys to come out. Now, is that when you started your uh, disliking of Tully Blanchard? Was that West Texas? I disliked him because he was a quarterback. He kept going in the <laughs> I, I I was famous at West Texas State for the lookout block. Oh shit! Look out! <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of it, it went from there, grew from there on, you know. And uh, just West Texas boys, no matter what it is, it's just a clique of guys that got into professional wrestling because of the Funks. Tony Funk Senior took over a bunch of guys like Frank Goodish, Bruiser Brody, who's brother Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, Bobby Duncan, and Dusty Rhodes. You know, those kind of people came before us. Of course, Tony Funk and, and Terry Funk and. and you know, I'm still doing things. I'm still wrestling independence with a bunch of good kids, young kids. That <clears throat> probably will never get a break, but should des- they do deserve one. Mm-hmm. But like by like the show we did this weekend with me and Terry Funk and a couple of young kids that uh, should deserve it. They really do deserve a tryout, but probably will never get it because, you know, Vince is the only game, the only game in town. So, you know, and then you got to do certain things to get in certain places. And these kind of kids, ain't kind of, they're just talented and uh, deserve a break, but like I said, you know, Vince the only game in town. So what what uh, what territories? Because the the first footage I've seen of you was when you worked for uh, Joe Blanchard in uh in uh, Southwest. But what uh what territories did you work before you went to Southwest? Well, I started the business when I was playing in West Texas, Kansas City Chiefs in Amarillo, in Amarillo, Texas. That was uh, Mulligan Murdoch Eminem Promotions. They bought out the funks and started that territory, and that's when, excuse me, I was refereeing and setting up the ring and stuff like that, plus playing football. And that's how they, they slowly got me into uh, wrestling because I didn't ever want to be a wrestler. I wrestled amateur all my life. And I was amateur wrestler, and I was pretty good at it. So I never saw pro wrestling as a way of, means of making a living. I wanted to play pro football all my life, but, you know, six foot tall, 260 pounds. Not the biggest guy in the NFL in the 70s, you know, but. I had a mean streak in me, kept me up there, but uh, that started there, and then uh, I got pretty good, and uh, Dickie Murdoch called uh, Eddie Graham, and Dusty Rhodes was the booker with uh, Jerry Briscoe being assistant booker in Tampa, Florida, and that's when my career kicked off. That's when I kicked off my career full. I mean, eight months into the business, and I was already wrestling Harley Race for the world title. How was how was the style different? Because I've I, unfortunately I must admit I've not seen that much footage from uh, going back as far as the the Fox uh, Amarillo territory. But from what I've always heard, it was a real stiff, snug style. And so eighty percent go, twenty percent chill. Because we didn't have the major uh, markets. There was no worldwide TV, nationwide TV, nothing. It was localized television 
So, you know, you, you, every now and then there's some promoters give you a little extra for juice. You, you're stretching somebody and yelling them hard, you know, busting them up, you know. Never got a little extra money. So, boys, you know, some of the guys, everybody understood the business. I mean, you know, when I started this business, there was nothing but big-ass men, big men. I'm not talking about little guys, you know. I love, I love Spike Dogley. He's a great kid and everything like that. But, you know, the, the hurricanes and shit like that, those guys would have never even made it through our uh, dressing room door. They were big, big men. So when you get two big guys, you know, Black Jack Mulligans and, and the Dickie Murdochs, and they get in the ring together, it's going to be solid. It's going to be nothing but solid. So how was it? How, how was the transition from your uh, upgrade, your uh, coming up in Amarillo, to then your transition to Florida? Uh, it's, it was pretty easy because, like, you know, when I went to Florida, ahead of time, before I got to Florida, the biggest rib was on me because uh, Murdoch and Mulligan had told uh, the Briscoes, who one was a two-time national collegiate champion, one was a one-time national collegiate champion. Of course, they had Carl Gotch and, you know, Hiro Matsuda there and, and a couple other guys, Boris Malenko, some of the great shooters, Jeff Ports and uh, Gordy Nelson and all of them. They had those guys in the territory. So when I got there, I met an old-timer named uh, Charlie Lay that wrestled in the 50s. And he asked me if I had my gear, and I told me I had my gear, and he told me to suit up. And I was like, suit up? You know, if I didn't say for what, I probably would have never got a job. But <laughs> I, went and I went ahead and got dressed up and everything, and uh, I met Gordon Soley for the first time in my life. I walked out, he came and introduced himself to me, and I went, holy shit, it's 8 in the morning, you're 100 proof already? My <laughs> God. It's like he drank a five whiskey bottles before he got to, to the damn uh, TV taping room. But I met him. He was a great man to me, and I went out there. He told me to go through the curtain, and then all them guys were in the ring, and they took their, they took their turn stretching the living crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know that Eddie Graham and uh, and Dusty Rhodes was up there watching from the little window looking down into the where we did TV taping and. They all looked up and said, yeah, he's a tough kid, all right. So I got the thumbs up, and uh, they put me with all the greatest talents you can imagine. I mean, I started I started there wrestling guys like uh, Don Morocco, who's big time. Don Morocco, Bugsy McGraw, Super Destroyer, Ernie Catalad, Sonny King, courtesy of Kea, you know, and then Harley Race came in. Then I did that year-long uh, long angle with, Terry Funk, where he dropped the middle, the strap to me in the middle of the ring. Then Dory Funk came in, and we did the brother type. I mean, I, I couldn't do nothing but be great. All well, I had to do is follow. I, I, have a, I have a question. You brought up Don Morocco. Now, in Florida, when they were they were bringing up Don Morocco to kind of be the successor to Jack Briscoe, why do you think right. that uh, Don never made it as big as uh, he was kind of groomed to be? He liked to He's like me. They were, bring, they were grooming me for the same thing, but guess what? We don't give a fuck. Oh, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, dude. I'll well, you that out. Oh, I didn't know that. We didn't care, dude. We weren't the kind of guy that, uh, like Dusty Rhodes, when I mean Dusty Rhodes became World Tag Team Champions in Raleigh, North Carolina, he had the nerve to come up to me and say, okay, now you've got to hang out with the top guys. Only world champions hang out with the top guys. You can't go with the underneath guys. And I told him, hey, dude, you're full of shit. I ain't kissing your butt. I am brown nosing you. I'm hanging out with the underneath guys because those guys are fun. They're for real. You know, you ain't made you, We don't change. Don Morocco didn't change. Don Morocco, you know, he did his thing. I did my thing. And I wasn't going to change because you were going to make me a champion. 
you know. It's a work, dude. It's a work. You want, you know, if it was really a shoot, then I would be the world champion back then, and there was a thing they could do about it. Hmm. Now, Bottom line. Now, going back to, to uh, when uh, you were in the Southwest and you had that, that TV match with Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, wow. That was it's amazing. on the Wrestling Gold set, and it, it's just amazing the the yeah. story that you guys were able to tell, you know, in that ten minutes. Um, wh- you've been in the ring with with Dickie Flair, and you've been in the ring with uh, Manny Fernandez, or I mean, with uh, Nick Bockwinkle. Now, which which one would you say would be the better talent? Hands down, Nick Bockwinkle. Hands down, Nick Bockwinkle. Hands down, of all of them, the greatest champion I ever wrestled, Harley Race. A lot of them. But hands down between the Flair and Bockwinkle, Flair don't even have a clue. Not even close. You know, I got, I got punished. WCW punished me because I had the world, tag, the world title match in Nashville, North Carolina with Ric Flair. And I got so bored 20 minutes into the match, threw him over the top rope and got disqualified. <laughs> What, what, what was it about Flair? Because uh, th- did he just not work a style that that entertained you, or what was it? He tried to see everybody, every every person I like. Nick Bockwinkle, they let me fly. I could do my flying stuff. I could do my, especially Harley Race. Oh my God, he he led me to flying crossbodies, my flying burrito, my drop kicks, my everything that I did back when I was young that I could fly all over the ring. They, they let me. They allowed me to be me. Mm-hmm. You know, they allowed me to do that. Ric Flair wanted to ground me. He wanted to do a stupid, I hit the turnbuckle, I flip over, run down the rope. He did that to me, and I walked out of the ring. <laughs> How many I, times the do you The thing I remember about you versus Nick Botwinkle is that y'all were, for the, it, KZ said it went 10 minutes. I don't remember how long it went, but y'all wrestled the entire time. And that's the right. thing, y'all were going. Yep. I was just, wow. Sure. Nick, how old was Nick at the time? Nick, Nick wasn't young. No, Nick, no, no, Nick wasn't too old, but he wasn't young. He was about in his mid forties. Oh, in his mid forties. Yeah, that's. Oh. In fact, this this year at uh, the Cauliflower Alley in Vegas, me and him sat down because people came up to him and were telling him that they saw that match on YouTube, and he oh. came up and talked to me about it. I said, Yeah, it was a joy working you, man. It was a joy. It was a joy. Okay, so in Southwest, you finally. Uh, how, how was it when you when you finally got in the ring and worked with Tully? Was the first time in Southwest? The first time was in Southwest. But see, the first time I worked with Tully, it was you know that was football days, so I put that all behind me. Later on, when we got into that fight and Tully ran away from me and I got stabbed eight times and nearly died, that's when the hatred came in. Hmm. That's when uh, he started a fight with the bikers named the Banditos, and he whooshed out on me and took off. And I'm not going to let nobody put down wrestling. I don't give. Back when I was broken the bruises, you defended it till you died. Mm-hmm. That was I, that's the way I was brought up. So I just stood there and fought him. And of course, he stabbed me eight times. So he took off running like a little girl. He got a knife. He got a knife. <laughs> that's where the hatred really came in. So how how was it uh how was it in the ring the first time you worked Tully after that incident? I was in uh, Savannah, Georgia, when I came to uh, Mid Atlantic NWA, which turned out to be WCW. We worked in uh, first time I did I shot in on him a high seat I dumped him on his head I figured for his waist at three quarter the head and I squeezed it. I almost could have snapped his neck if I wanted to. 
that you know, at that time JJ Dillon was his uh, manager, and I think he said the words like uh, that saved his saved his neck. He said, "Eventually, man, you know you gotta work him because it's for the title." So you know, I slid off the little geek and let him let him up, and we had a hell of a match. One thing we did have was hell. Of a, I'll give him that much. We did have hellacious matches. So. Speaking of incident like that, there's also another famous incident where uh, many, many, many years later, between you and Invader Three, after uh, after the, the Brody answer, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, there was a clique of West Texas guys you never touched, and we all stood by each other, like uh, Brody and Hanson. When I met them, when I first went to Japan, they they both took me under their wing because I I was the smallest, really. To tell you the truth, if you look at all the West Texas guys. I was the smallest. Mm-hmm. So to them, I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But they, they'd always tell you, you don't want to mess with a kid. He will mess you up. <laughs> we will kick your ass, but he'll mess you up. You know, but uh, they, they've been special to me all my life, you know. You know, they took care of me in Japan. They got me sponsors and stuff. So when that happened to Brody, I was in Tokyo. And uh, I was supposed to go from Tokyo to San Juan, Puerto Rico. And, of course, the Japanese people that I worked for changed that right away. They didn't even want me to go to near Puerto Rico. So I did that on my own. And I set that up at the time because my wife was a flight attendant for U.S. Air, and I knew that I can get a friend to get me to the airport. I'd get out of there. So that's what happened. But he survived, so, you know, you know I still have my, my brother. And my brother's in heaven, but, you know, at least he survived, man. Mm-hmm. So, um... What are some other Bruiser Brody memories that you have? Uh, me and him were working in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, Von Erich had a bad, bad, bad habit of coming stone loaded, whatever you want to call it, to the matches. It'd be so wasted and stuff. So was, uh, Kevin and Kerry came to one of the matches at Kill Auditorium and they had to wrestle me and Brody because. But then I was working for Harley, and I was a Central States champion out of Missouri, out of uh, Missouri, uh, Kansas City territory. And uh, they were so wasted, dude. They couldn't even lace their boots or something like that. The other one sat down, and he went into the. He thought he was going into stall, where he actually went into the bathroom and sat and started lacing his boots up. And Brody kicked the door so hard that it came out the hinges and hit him. He started yelling, "I'm like." If you think we're going out to this ring and getting hurt by you stupid asses, blah, blah, he just scared him to death, dude. He, <laughs> he scared him sober. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. Horrible. You know, outside the stories, you know, this is, you know, personal stories that we you know, good doing things together in Japan and, and shit like that and around the country. You know, it's just it's great. We always trained together in San Antonio. When he came into San Antonio, I fought Bobby Dunkelman one time. Both of them came in together, and we just do our personal trips together, you know, talk about the West Texas State boys and the days and all that good shit. But those those were great times for me. Okay. Um, I'm I'm up here in Northern California. and uh... You're in North Cal, brother, from San Jose. What part are you, Frisco? I'm, I live in San Bruno right now. Okay, you're not far from Frisco then. Yeah. Now, how did you get hooked up with APW and Roland Alexander? Oh, I met a bunch of uh, kids. The first kid I met was Steve Rosano. 
I really got a liking. I went over there and I saw the school. Well, Roland Alexander found out I was in town. He called me. He called me. He said he invited me to a school in his garage wars or whatever. That was pretty cool, you know. And I met uh, I met uh, Leprechaun Crash Holly, and he became my student. And I started training uh, Brown Bomber and Steve Rosano and uh, the Leprechaun and Donovan Morgan and uh, the other kid. I forget this other kid. Michael Modest, yeah, Michael Modest, boom, and them, and one kid that I didn't really care for, he thought he was a beast, he tried to copy uh, Mankind, Cactus Jack, he tried to be that, I don't know, yeah, Vic Rives, he was an idiot, but I, I concentrated on those three guys, and I got involved through that, running to school, training these guys, getting them all decent, groomed and everything, and having great matches with them, I got involved, and, you know, and I ran his school and everything, and we did good, I mean, he was a great guy, and we still, you know, Roland's got some health problems and stuff, but I keep up with them all the time. And by the time I got Steve Rosano and Leprechaun and uh, uh, Donovan Morgan and uh, Mike Modest together, we'd make trips to the East Coast and they'd wrestle over here to experience the wrestling over here so they wouldn't have to, you know, wrestle each other all the time. And it just stayed that way, you know. So of course, I lost. Now, now considering, considering your, your shooting background, um, what, what are your feelings on uh, the shooter, Tony Jones? Oh, he's good. I like wrestling with him. When he was with uh, with APW, me and him, oh, we had great matches. Of course, I outshot him. <laughs> but, you know, that's just, just natural. It's cool. He's cool. I had no problems with the kids with APW. They were great kids. So, uh, why'd you leave? What, what happened? Was it just time to move on? Or? Time to move on. I don't stay very long in any one place. You know, it's just, I, I don't, in this business, it's so used to you being in one territory for so long. When there was territories, when you had the nine territories, I'd be in one territory for a year, year and a half, two at the most, and I had to go somewhere else. That, that was the pleasure of having territories. Because after a while, you just don't want to be there no more. And that's what I'm used to. I'm used to, like here in Virginia Beach. I got my school here in Virginia Beach. It's doing good. We're getting new recruits every day. I don't know. I remember here a year, year and a half, and go back to North Cal, where I'm from. You know, I was home for a couple of years when I was sick, and now I'm ready to move on. I'm just well, not ever going to stay planted. You know. Well, you you need to come back, brother. You know, so I can have you over. We we'll do a little barbecue. And, you know, pop yeah, up. yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Anytime, anytime. You know, I'll be coming back, see, but you know. In the '80s, did you see the death of the territories coming? Uh, I saw it coming. I actually saw it coming when uh, Jim Crockett started buying out. When when Dusty and me, because I was assistant booker for WCW, nobody knew that, but I did all the shit with Dusty. And of course, Dusty would always get on my ass when I would come up with crazy shit. I'd just beat him up, throw him out. We don't need him anyway, you know. I would, I was the guy with the crazy thoughts. But uh, when I saw Dusty and telling him to buy Louisiana. To take over Florida, I knew that I would come in and say, "Dude, what are you doing? Why would we want these territories? We got North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, Georgia. What are you doing? Well, we're going to take over the country, dude. You're nuts, dude. Your ego, fuck. Your ego's just out of here, dude. You know, it's stupid. I saw it coming in 1986 when we started taking over territory." There was no reason for that. No reason for it. So, did, did you ever... What were your feelings on uh, Vince McMahon when he started uh, 
his national expansion when you were working for the, the other team, I guess. Well, you know, it, it was a competition. WCW was a major company owned by a major, major guy. Ted Turner's still a major guy. And then, of course, Vince at WWF, and it was a major corporation because of his father. They had the major marketing stuff in New York, and New York, you know, is a media center. And so was T- TBS was because of uh, Ted Turner. So, you know, that was two major companies butting heads, and they were buying territories, and we were buying territories. The end was coming sooner or later. You know, and I knew that Vince was going to be up to something because they started burning down. When Dusty started tearing down, everywhere Dusty's been a booker, the territories eventually die. He burns them up because everything is dusty, 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 dusty. After a year or two, people get tired of it. Mm-hmm. They get tired of it. So I knew eventually WCW would end in that direction because Ted Turner started losing so much money on it. He started seeing instead of see he bought it as a write-off, thinking that we'd lose money. We started out making money, out drawing WWF, going into their backyard, which we never should have done. Never should have done. We could if we had the whole side of the country, you know, and out drawing them in their backyard. So of course Vince is going to come back and do something. He's not going to put up with it. It's a business. It's a business, you know. What would you feel like somebody came to your backyard while you're barbecuing for me and took your steaks? <laughs> Good point. Yeah, you'd be pissed off. So, you know, it just started with that. And poor Jim Crockett, here's one of the wealthiest men in the country, ends up selling cars in Dallas. How sad. How sad. And Vince McMahon, he turned it into entertainment. Rather than say, you know, it's wrestling, now it's entertainment. So I'm going to go out here and do soap operas bringing guys in shorts with uh, ripped up abs and steroided out heads, can't get their shit together, don't even know how to follow a cue card. And But, but he's over. He marketed right. And what can you do? What, what are your thoughts on uh, Dusty Rhodes' son, Dustin Rhodes? Dustin? Yeah. Dustin was a good kid until he, until he had some. Yeah, he... When he grew up, he went different directions. He just went goofy. And that's about it. You know, I helped him a little bit when he was training and stuff. Of course, he knew he was going to be in there because his dad was the booker. What I think, he's a, he's a good worker. When I think about Cody Rhodes, he sucks. That guy has no business in the ring. I was just, you know, the kind of guys, if I was still major in the business of all, I'd take in there and strip the hell out of him, put Matt Burns on his ass so he knows he's in the wrong business. But, of course, he's daddy's boy. It seemed like Dustin never really he, – he had that one hot run as gold dust, and then after yep. that he never – because when they first brought him in, it's like they, they packaged him as Dusty, Ro- as Dusty Rhodes pretty much, the natural. And then right. um, he, he never he, – I don't think he that, – except for that two-year run as gold dust when he was real hot as a heel. Right. Right. I never really felt like he knew who he was. Well, see, about that time when we were met- – WF and trying to run up their backyard. He decided, you know how Vince made the Red Rooster. Terry Taylor's not known as Terry Taylor. Now he's known as the Red Rooster. And then he made Dusty the plumber. Well, he got back at Dusty for trying this shit on him. He made Gold Dust. Gold Dust, the American Ring, Tower Power, Too Sweet to Be Sour. There you go. That's what he created. That's what thing is. Vince likes you. Go ahead. With, with the fat man. That that's a that's a pretty big you know shadow to get out of. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Yes, it is a very big shadow because he has that super big ego, 
and uh, he made himself get to hear everywhere he went. You got to remember, Dusty was the booker, and when Dusty was the booker, he made himself bigger than life, bigger than life itself, and nobody's and bigger than life. Dustin was the same as David Flair, where where both of the boys paid for the sins of the father. Yeah, that's why David Flair has nothing to do with his father. There you go. Yeah, so Dustin has nothing to do with his dad. So, you know, those are personal things. You know, I don't I don't deal with families and stuff like that. I, I try to deal with Manny Fernandez, the idiot, because a lot of times I'm an idiot and I have a hard time keeping up with him. <laughs> <laughs> what are your feelings on uh, Ted DiBiase? What's that? What are your feelings on Ted DiBiase? Ted DiBiase, oh, here's another one that played football. I mean, I forgot about Ted. Ted played with me at West Texas State. That was a group that came out, Ted DiBiase, Tito Santana, myself, Tully Blanchard, Barry Windham, and Kelly Kaninsky, who's Gene Kaninsky's son, but he never made much of himself because his dad drove him nuts. But that was the last group that came out of West Texas State. Excuse me. What are your feelings on Ted, and do you think that uh, they should have, either company should have made him world champion? Nah, I think he's a great guy, he's a great worker, you know, but, you know, for me to say who would be world champion, you know, it's like trying to be the second coming to Eddie Graham. Eddie Graham was the greatest mind in our business, the greatest mind in our business, and it's sad that uh, that he's gone, it was sad that he it ended, his life ended the way it did, but, you know, uh, Ted is a great, great worker, great worker, great worker, but there's something about him that the people didn't like. That's, you you got to remember, it's political. They don't like you like they didn't like my style because I'm who I am. They didn't like Morocco's craziness. They're not going to make you world champion. you got to kiss their ass. Ric Flair is a perfect example. Harley Race is not, but he became world champion because the man can go to any territory, work any person's style, and not change them. What were what was uh you mentioned you mentioned Gordon Soley. Um who was your favorite commentator ever cuz uh Gordon who, Soley? who's been your favorite Nobody's commentator? Gordon Soley. Nobody's yeah, been, nobody will ever be Gordon Soley. Nobody will ever be Gordon Soley. And then I have Steve Stash from Amarillo who was real, real close real close to And of course I always I always liked Tony Schiavone because I I messed with him all the time. WCW always scared him. Always did pull ribs on him, hide his hide his suit and stuff like that. You know, he was a good guy. What were your thoughts? The barbecue guy. You asking me? You want to ask me about the barbecue guy? Fuck the barbecue guy. <laughs> JB Jim Ross, my kids. He had to take his barbecue in his mouth and shove it up his ass. <laughs> you know, like I said, I went. Yeah, that is a total shoot. Because uh, I went to Vegas, he went in there, he brought in Stone Cold. The greatest honor and respect I ever got in this business, Stone, Stone Cold Steve Austin came up to see me and Steve Williams sitting there selling some gimmicks and shit. And Steve Austin asked me, man, me, and he's hot, he's a now-era talent, but the guy can draw like crazy. He says, Mr. Fernandez, can I take a picture with you? I said, dude, you ain't got to call me mister, you're Stone Cold. That's an honor for a guy like that. I never thought that would come from him. Of course, Jim Ross came over his cowboy hat acting like he didn't know nobody. So I told him, you take your barbecue sauce and stick it up your ass. I don't know you neither. You know? But, you know, later on that night, me and Stone Cold got drunk as hell in Vegas. Of course, you get drunk in Vegas. 
And he, and he really honored me when he told me, I watched you in NWA back in the day, and that's what I wanted to be like. I said, dude, that's an honor. This is stone cold, dude. I don't care what anybody says, he's still stone cold. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the biggest honors from a young kid I got in the business. Jay-Z still there? Excuse me? Okay, so okay, I, I thought he said something for me, but uh, while while we're talking about that, so um, Ted what what are your thoughts on Tito Santana? Oh, no, Tito, he was a great guy. Merced Solis was a hell of a tight end in West Texas State, and he has one of the greatest sense of humor in the world. Tito Santana, because probably because he's Latin, he would never get it, but that man could work. You know, that, when you put we had when we started training, it was me, Tito, Ted DiBiase, and Barry Windham. Those guys made a, we made names for ourselves in this business. You know, <laughs> that's four top names in the business. So, I think Tito was awesome, dude. What are your thoughts on Rick Rude? Oh, man, dude, that's my brother. That's my brother in heaven right now. That's the greatest partner and the greatest friend, probably. Uh, you know, I got brothers from West Texas State. That's the difference. But, you know, Rude and me were. Brother, we were tired, man. He'd look after me, get on me for fighting too much in the bars, you'll worry about me. Big Rude was the brother. He was the brother. Uh, it just bothers me and hurts me to sometimes talk about it. What were your thoughts on uh, the matches you and Rick Rude had with the Rock and Roll Express? <laughs> I sat in for Robert Gibson, that clumsy piece of shit. <laughs> well, that's why if you watch our matches, we keep Ricky Morton in the ring. Uh-huh. <laughs> we had more fun with Ricky Morton. And every time Robert come in, we tell him, tag out, get out of here. <laughs> we had great matches, though, brother. Well, um, yeah, I'm coming. Yeah, they, these people want me to get in. Okay. Um, How much longer we got, bro? Just a couple um, minutes, guys. What? Hey, KZ, you want to wrap up? Go ahead. One more question, Alex. Okay, we'll go. Shoot. You there, Alex? Yeah. K- KZ, do you go with your question? Well, Mr. Fernandez, um, it's been it's been great having you on. Um, uh, there's some technical difficulties, I guess, going on. Um, okay, do you have anything go. you'd like to plug? Actually, no, I'll, I'll, do I'll do the go plug ahead. for you, man. How does that sound? We have uh, you do, do what? I'll do the plugs for you. Oh, there you go. MySpace.com backslash MF Raging Bull. And you can catch Manny and a whole bunch of other legends, uh, NWA Legends Fan Fest, August 14th through the 17th at Charlotte, North Carolina, NWALegends.com. Oh, that? man, that's awesome. That's awesome, dude. Thank you, man. And thank you guys for everything, man. You guys, it was great. I'm sorry it was a little delay because it's my rookies. But, you know, rookies, I have to slap around every now and then. But I get, I get them straight. It's all good. Thanks. <laughs> all right, bro. No problem. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. All right. That was NWA legend, the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. Uh, we've lost Alex. Alex should be calling right back in. Wow. Um, we're halfway done. Uh, yeah, like I said, August 14th through the 17th in Charlotte, North Carolina, 
Greg Price is uh, hosting the NWA Legends Reunion Convention. Uh, three days, four days, or whatnot of uh, A to Z as far as legends are concerned. Uh, so many different guys are going to be making appearances, and and you can uh, check out the WrestleWarehouse.com booth. Jeff will be in the house. Uh, you'll be able to buy the Michael Modest and Ballard Brothers shoot interviews from Jeff directly so you don't have to pay shipping. Um, also, uh, Rob Feinstein from RF Video will have a booth as well. Um, support Rob, too. He's a friend of the show. Uh, Rob's another good guy. No matter what the hell anybody says, Rob's a good guy. Um, we're waiting for Alex to call back in as well as the American kickboxer to call in. So, let's see. Okay. Wow, that was a really good interview with the uh, Raging Bull. Let's check out the board here. Nobody's calling in yet. So, let's uh, let's go back to the NWA SoCal Pro Wrestling Control Center. Welcome to the NWA Wrestling and SoCal Pro Report. SoCal Pro returns to Boys and Girls Club in Oceanside on Saturday night, August 9th. Bell time, 7 p.m. Featuring Jason Redondo, Johnny Goodtime, Adam Pierce, Tommy Wilson, SoCal Crazy, the Ballard Brothers, Cool Imagery, and more. On our wrap-up from the last SoCal Pro event, we'll hear from the Ballard Brothers, A, Tommy Wilson and Scrap Iron, Adam Pierce's first interview with SoCal Pro since... Well, I'll let him explain what's happened. Here we go. In the tag team division, Canada's gift to professional wrestling, the Ballard Brothers faced Cool Imagery. It wasn't as much the Ballard Brothers winning as Cool Imagery making a mistake and one partner knocking out the other. The Ballard Brothers made these comments. The SoCal officials are still working on it, but it sounds like there's going to be a rematch. The Ballard Brothers against Cool Imagery at the next SoCal event in August. What? A rematch? A rematch? We already beat them. Why do we have to keep coming down here to Southern California? Why can't they come up to Canada where real men and real women are? Yeah, that is totally correct. Why would we have to give them a rematch? What did they do to deserve that? They hit each other and we beat them, yet we planned it and they get a rematch? How is that fair to us? Huh? That, that is the American way. That's what you people call the American way, and it's not. It's not right. Yeah, you have them come up to Canada where they have to face the elements and they have to face us. And let's see how they feel about that. Yeah, let's have a match outside in Canada right now. Uh, see if they don't come out with and ta- even take their ring jackets off. They'll be scared to come out there to Canada and wrestle us outside or inside. It doesn't matter. In SoCal Pro's July main event, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion Adam Pierce faced Tommy Wilson. In a match that involved more than the two participants and the referee, perhaps some brass knuck, Tommy Wilson was disqualified. Tommy made these comments right after the match. We'll follow those with comments that Adam Pierce made since his last defense of the NWA World Heavyweight Championship on August 2nd in New York City. You know, this is just like Vanderpile, Redondo, Pierce, and TNT. The fact is, I hit the moonsault on Pierce tonight, and I had him beat. TNT had to come down, and he interfered in my match. And now SoCal Crazy, he may have got me disqualified, but I don't blame him for one second. Because, see, he was coming to my aid, and I appreciate that. But you, TNT, 
you Pierce, Redondo, Vanderpile, I'm coming for you guys. See, you're scared. Pierce, you've never been able to beat me. A DQ means nothing. You know it, I know it. I've pinned you twice, right to the mat, one, two, three. I've done it in San Diego, I've done it in LA. I'll do it in Charlotte, I'll do it in San Antonio, I'll do it in New York City, Canada, I don't care where we go, I will pin you to the mat the next time that we meet up, whether it's a tag match or for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. But Pierce, there's gonna come a day when you and I are gonna meet for that title one more time, and I'm gonna get you. Whether Vanderpile's there, whether Redondo and TNT show up, it's not gonna matter. Because there will be a day when I pin you to the mat, one, two, three, and I become the rightful NWA World Champion, the belt that is rightfully mine, and you know it! Why? Because Scrap Iron Adam Pierce said so. August 9th, 2008, is one of those days that people are going to talk about, especially in the Southern California area, because... That is the day. Oops, sorry to cut off uh, Scrap Iron Adam Pierce. I have on the line Midwest, I guess I could call him journeyman, independent worker and trainer, the American kickboxer. How are you doing, Frank? Hey, I'm doing great tonight. How are you guys doing this evening? I, I'm fine and dandy. Um, are you okay with me calling you a journeyman? Uh, journeyman's fine, fine. Uh, I got started back in 1990, so I, uh, I've been around a little bit. So I guess journeyman, yeah, that'd be appropriate, I guess. That's, you know, okay. I've been, been called much worse by, yeah. I've been called much worse. No, please, well, no, no, you're not insulting me one bit. No. B- b- before we get started, I- I'm just going to mention one name, the Iron Sheik. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just have to laugh, man. Any time that I get a chance to go see him, man, I love him, man. Great guy. Uh, uh, I, I I don't know <laughs> to go into stories about the guy, whatever. Uh, I've I've had a lot of fun with the sheep, man. Well, maybe we'll later on here in the interview we'll get into some a uh, little more about him, but uh, yeah, uh, he's helped me out a lot. I've been able to kind of befriend him and help him a little bit. I I really like the guy personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, how how'd you break in the business? What happened? Oh man, um, I guess started basically in 1977 is when I first got that bite. You know, just the same as anybody else had. You know, they first seen wrestling. I knew from the age of five years old this was what I wanted to do, and uh, I guess everything in my life was uh, directed towards it. You understand what I mean by that? Uh, mm-hmm. I, got, I started out in amateur wrestling. I did a Greco-Roman, I also did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and martial arts. Uh, and then <clears throat> while uh, I spent some time in juvenile hall, I had kind of come from a broken home. And while I was there, I had uh, my brothers. They would sent me wrestling magazines the whole bit. I'm sorry, I'm kind of dragging along here, man. Uh, my, bro- <laughs> my, brothers had sent, yeah, my brothers had sent me magazines and whatnot. And I just knew when I finally got out that this, that was what I was going to do. So uh, through time, uh, literally, I hitchhiked to uh, a town where I had seen an independent poster where there was a show. And I, I said, well, these guys are, are the guys that are going to get me into the wrestling business, you know. And uh, I hitchhiked there, tore down their rings, set up their rings, and these so-called veterans took me in the ring and they beat me up and whatever. And they'd, they'd always made a promise to me that 
whenever I moved back to Dayton, Ohio, because I was down in Kentucky at this time, to uh, get a hold of Al Snow because they were great friends with Al Snow. And uh, Al would put me to work with all their great wrestling knowledge and teaching. <clears throat> so I had uh, moved back up here to Dayton. And uh, anyways, I would got a hold of Al Snow. And Al told me, come in his gym and take a look at me. And I got there, and really quickly I realized I'd been taken, and that's kind of why I take the training so personal. Uh, I went in there with, uh, Al Snow probably had more wrestling knowledge trapped under his fingernail than what I had in my whole body, you know. And this was 1990, as I was saying. But uh, I tried to tell him all these names of these guys who had trained me. This guy told me this, and this guy told me that, and Al had never heard of them, you know. Uh, well, what about this guy? And he had never heard of this guy either. And I said, well, man, if you can give me any advice, what would it be? And he said, well, man, plain and simply, you just need to learn how to wrestle. <laughs> you know, plain and simple. So uh, fortunately, I ended up uh, hooking up with Les Thatcher after that. And I trained with Les. I was part of one of Les's first camps when Smoky Mountain Wrestling and that expanded out into the Cincinnati area. So I, I trained with Les. I, I credit my training to uh, Les Thatcher, Tracy Smothers, Fulton, and Rip Rogers. Those are, those are the guys that broke me in and uh, really took the time with me. And uh, I, I, I'm forever grateful in their death. You know. that, that's some who's who of, of of trainers. I mean, Rip Rogers is doing his thing in OVW. Uh, Les is still doing these seminars uh, m- monthly and. You know, I mean, there that that's a, you know, those are some serious credentials. Oh, those, you know, the, those guys. Yeah, once once you trained with those those guys, you know, it's it was the stamp of approval. The people knew that you had what it took, you know. And even at my size, it was impossible, damn near impossible, in the early '90s, for a small guy to get any any kind of work whatsoever. You know, I was fortunate enough. I had met up with a guy uh, through Thatcher's camp named Tarek the Great. And uh, mm-hmm. I had uh, basically moved to the Cincinnati area, and I, I figured it out that if I was going to make anything or make any money, that it was going to have to be a specialty novelty act, you know. And at that, that at that time, that's what cruiserweight wrestling was. You know, we were almost considered like the midgets, or if you brought Andre in or something like that, it was something special and something different, you know. So. Well, uh, you you mentioned Tarek. Um, yeah, you've had hundreds of matches with this gentleman. Man, um, we did the math. I'm sorry to interrupt you. We did the math the other day. Uh, three times a week, with uh, how many weeks in a year? Fifty-two weeks, fifty mm-hmm. weeks a year. So over 153 times I wrestled him in one year. So yeah, just imagine and we had a feud that lasted eight years strong. So just imagine. And, and to be honest. I didn't see one bad match. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. You know, that's, that's I mean, they were time. all good, and they all told the story. Everything made sense. Um, now, as far as uh, the majority of your program was for Ian in IWA Mid-South, um, did Ian give you and Tarek the ball, or yeah, did he was... do the majority of the booking? No, no, uh-uh, no. Uh, we'll, we'll clear that up right now, and... This, this isn't a shot at anybody. This just kind of goes out to any promoter that doesn't write all the angles or anything like that. You, they give guys a format to work in, and it's up to the guys. 
you know, it's up to the guys. If the guy can see that he can make money off of you, then he's just he's going to give you the ball, and so he's going to ride you until he can't make any more money. You understand? Yeah, that's that that's that's the nature of this business. Uh, we we turned out to be something special, you know, and we always had different ideas because we understood that. Uh, in order to make money, we had to have longevity with each other because there wasn't really any other guys our size in that market at that time. You understand? There was uh, maybe Reckless Youth that was out on the East Coast and a few of those guys, but, hell, we hardly got out there. and You know, it was far and few, you know. Now, bringing up IWA Mid-South. Um, okay. I know what you're going to ask. Go right ahead, man. No, 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 not quite. What okay. uh, <laughs> What happened to the rugby thug? That's a, that's a good question. I I have no idea, man. Uh, he he was he was a decent little hand from you know. I worked with him a few times. He's a good little hand. Uh, I think he lives in Ohio. I'm not sure. Honestly. Yeah, he just disappeared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's you know. put him on like a milk carton or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Missing the rugby thug, Trent Baker. We'd love to see you again. Call in or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, four or five months ago, I had Jim Fannin on the show, and and I brought that up too. And you know, no one's been able to find him, and you know, he yeah. completely disappeared. And you know, it's a shame because he was really entertaining. He was really oh, fun to watch. It's for some guys, you you understand. You know, some guys might have all the talent in the world, but then the business just it eats at you. That's what this business does, man. Uh, you know, look at look at the longevity of just the boys' lives. You know, this this Very business true. will will eat you up. It will spit you out. You know, and a lot of guys, you know, uh, I'm finding out just as I, I've had to take time out of the business. You know, hopefully not forever, but it looks like right now I have to take some time off. But uh. It's something really hard to step away from. You understand? So, so I, I, I've started to understand a lot of the struggles that a lot of these guys have went through and everything. So it's, well, it's I, I, I did mention IWM Mid South, and yeah. within the last couple months, they they've gotten a lot of bad press. Um, sure, the Queen sure. of the Death Match with uh, Mickey Knuckles and this this goof Mike Levy. Um, let's 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 break it down, brother. Um, What's your honest opinions about, you know, the bullshit that went okay, down? Well, let's well, let's let's go all through it, okay? I think the timing for this couldn't have been worse, okay? Let me explain. Mm-hmm. I've got a very 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 dear friend who's been on life support, and just this week he was taken off of life support. He's now uh, possibly going into a rehab clinic to help build his body back up, and his name's Roland Hard. You know, Frankie, Frank, let let me interrupt you. Thank God. God bless you, Roland. You're in all of our prayers. Hopefully, brother, you can get back on your feet. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about Roland. No, never, never. The guy, the guy was just—he's the sweetest guy in the world, man. And uh, I, the timing for for everything that went down—it's just—it's really, really bad because. Uh, a lot of us guys are trying to really bring a, a positive uh, a positive light and try to try to bring uh, the people to to this family who really really needs the support, man. And just the timing of all this was just so horrible and everything. Uh, 
if you're an IWA fan, uh, nothing uh, that I could say uh, would, would be enough. You know what I mean? Or, or, or you, you'd always defend it, and, and uh, or no, no explanation would be necessary if you're an IWA fan. You understand? And but if you're not an you're not an IWA fan, no explanation will do regarding that whole Mike Levy incident and the whole deal. You, you understand what I mean? Oh yeah. You know, uh, but but back to what I was really really pushing at, man. Roland Hard, his real name is uh, Roland Montgomery. He's in U uh, of L Hospital, University of Louisville Hospital. We're really, really pushing for donations for him. That's that's my real big thing right now. Before I try to push my gym and my students, that's the one big thing that I want to get out. If I speak anything of this interview, it's really that Roland Hard needs everybody's support, man. Even if it's a dollar, I, I don't give a damn if it's just a dollar from anybody that hears this. If you send one dollar to Roland Montgomery, you're going to help that family out more than you know. He's got two kids. He's got a wife, man, and. This business, it doesn't look out for nobody, man. It's sharks, bro. You know. <clears throat> well, so is there any benefit shows that are in the works for, for uh, Roland? Yeah, uh, as far as I know right now, Ian is running one August 31st, I believe is the date. He hasn't given me a call on it. They, uh, he had my student, Drake, give me a call and said that he was going to call me, but... Uh, you know, I'm not going to wait by the phone. So if he calls, he calls. If not, this is what I can do to try to, you know, bring awareness to it, try to do my part, you understand. So. But, yeah, so, I think it's, well, I think you, it's you August mentioned 30. You, you, August 30th, yeah. You, yeah, you 31st, mentioned Drake, I'm sorry. You mentioned Drake and the other Naptown Dragons. Yeah. Um, you, you broke them in. Now, what 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 are your honest opinions and feelings on Drake being quote unquote tagged with the the label deathmatch worker? You know, here's here's a funny thing. Uh, we're talking about him. True. You know what I mean. Very so true. If we're sitting we're sitting here having a discussion on what I feel, then he's had to have stirred emotions one way or the other with people. You know. I heard a guy earlier, he was talking about he can't understand the attraction of Drake Younger. Let me explain what the attraction is, and it's it's very, very simple, all right? He's genuine. Everybody can see that Drake Younger is willing to do whatever it takes to entertain people. Now, do I support it? Probably not, but let me, you know, this is still a kid who's living his dream. He's being paid to do what he dreamed of, you know? So that that's what the attraction is for Drake Younger because the people see that he's real, you know. And he and if you spoke to him, he's one of the most humble guys in the world, really and truly. And that's him. That's that's genuinely him. I I enjoyed. Was it? Uh, yeah, it was 2007 the IWA Mid South Revolution Strong Style Tournament. He was in the final with uh, Eddie Kingston. And right. I was just amazed, you know, because to be honest, the deathmatch stuff really turns me off. It's not my thing. But I saw oh, Drake sure. advance in this tournament, and, you know, these guys were just all Japan dropping on their heads and killing each other. And I was just truly amazed. And Drake, you know, 
it's kind of a shame that, you know, people think about the deathmatch stuff, but do you see Drake, like, advancing to maybe Ring of Honor or TNA or or even New York? I I think he has all the, excuse me, potential in the world to do basically whatever a promoter wants him to do. You understand what I'm saying? He, he 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 can do whatever they want. It's up to the promoter himself. Now let, let's say, for example, uh, Ring of Honor. All right. Now this is a promotion who we don't stand for brawling and we won't blah 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 blah. You ever, you you remember all this a few years ago and mm-hmm. how we were unlike anything else. And but guess who their top draw is right now? Okay. The Necro Butcher. You're damn right, the Necro Butcher. All right? Now, there has to be a market for that. He's not the great-looking guy, but guess what? Neither was Dick Murdoch. All right? Neither was Dusty Rhodes. Neither was Jimmy Valiant. These guys are real. These are people that that the people themselves can relate to because you see a guy like the Necro Butcher, and you know a guy like him. He's some big redneck that if you see walk into the bar, you might see him at the end of the bar. And you know that, man, that guy can kick ass. There's no doubt in my mind. And he ain't got a flip. He ain't got a fly. But, you know, rock, paper, scissors, rock all these wins. You understand? <laughs> Very true, brother. Very true. <laughs> uh, but, uh, really, really, that's, <laughs> that's a fact. True. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Right now, my big thing is really training students, man. That's that's my first love, and teaching the art that's forgotten. And that's that's the that's the art of what this business is, man. When when I see people go out there and they hit shoot headbutts, I'm like, oh, you can't work, huh? Or you know, they punch each other in the face. Oh, you don't know how to throw a punch, or a hundred forearms, or nine hundred clotheslines, or you know. God, we can we can teach any trained monkey to throw a clothesline, man. Uh, you know, how about grabbing people's emotion? You know, if I hear another golf clap during a match, I'm gonna puke. You know, you, you know what I mean? It's, oh, uh, you, I hear you, brother. Yeah, yeah. How about, how about emotion and feelings, man? And it's done all the time. It's done in movies. It's done in soap operas, and it can be done in wrestling. It's just a forgotten art, you know. Guys, today, please do a promo without screaming at people, man. Because after 10 seconds of screaming at people, now tell me if I'm wrong, all right? And please chime in. Uh, After 10 seconds of being screamed at in any situation that you're in, don't you almost go Charlie Brown teacher mode? Mop, 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 mop. You know what I mean? I have to agree. Okay. I have to completely agree. So, now... Here, here's a little tip for all you wrestlers that are starting out or guys that are trying to do promos. What was Jake the Snake's secret? Mellow. Okay, Jake, if I really want you to listen to what I've got to say, all I've got to do is drop my voice just this little bit because it's going to draw you into the secret. But if I've got emotion on what I'm talking about, all I've got to do is raise it this much. All right? That's not screaming. That's talking the same as anybody would in everyday life. Nobody walks down the street screaming. If they did, they'd lock them up, right? True. Okay. This business is supposed to be a reflection of life. You know, we'll we'll, we'll 
you know, diving even further than that. You got me going, man. And I just got done training with the boys, and we've been doing promos and stuff, so I'm feeling good. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's got to be a reflection of life. Let's talk about the uh, women that are in this business now. When has it ever been acceptable in anybody's society for a man to lay his hand on a woman? Never. Of course, never. So why is it now accepted in the wrestling business or the sports entertainment business? Wrestling has been dead and gone on, you know, the sports entertainment business. There's still some wrestlers out there, God bless them, but it's sports entertainment, it looks like. Uh, but when, when is it, if it's not acceptable, then we, we've lost that realm of reality, right? Exactly. So if somebody's watching this show, do you put up a switch that says, quit thinking? Do you understand? Don't think now because we're only going to insult your intelligence. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, so if, if you play to the lowest demographic, guess what you're going to draw? The lowest demographic, right? Exactly. That's simple math, I would think. You know, L-O-G-I-C, you know, <laughs> logic, huh? I'm full of it, man. I'm sorry. My students call me Yoda, man. I just I go off on them. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except I've never never touched any young Jedi's lightsabers. So okay. But anyhow, uh, I'm on a roll, man. Let's keep going, man. I'm feeling pretty good here. We got we got some of Shiki's medicine, and we're feeling great. Oh, you too, huh, brother? So oh yeah, yeah there, free free show rituals. I hear you. Uh, other than the Naptown Dragons, um, who are your other standout students that, that you broke in? Okay, uh, then uh, guys that trained with the Naptown Dragons were uh, Dave Davidson. He wrestles as Simply Spectacular. He's out of the Indianapolis area. He's also trained with uh, Thatcher, Steamboat, and uh, a couple other really good seminars, the Dave Taylor Seminar. He's a guy who... If he just get out of that Indiana area, could could really go far. Uh, Poison Apollo, who's one half of the Soul Shooters with Drew Johnson, was another one of my uh, students. Those guys are really, really good tag team. They uh, kind of burning it up all around this area. Uh, right now, I've had a couple real good students. Uh, one's named Tadarius. He wrestles as a TD. He just uh, debuted for Ian not too long ago. Uh, Jeff Brooks and uh, Kid Hybrids, another another one of my students. Uh, so I've got, I've got some really good students. I teach with uh, Truth Martini. You can uh, check him out at uh, myspace.com, Truth Martini. Uh, we run the House of Truth and the Rage Dojo. The Rage stands for Regional Alliance for the Advancement of Grappling Excellence. Uh, I teach anything from shoot because I, I believe you've got to start out with shoot, uh, just so you know the where everything actually comes from, where each move comes from. Most guys don't know that a hip toss comes from a, a hip throw. You understand? So once once they understand the 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 actual physicality of the hip throw, a hip toss when two guys are working together is a breeze. So, uh, and we take them through the ringer, really and truly. I'm not out to train the average guy. I don't want if you, if you want to be average and you want to be what I call a 40 miler, which is a guy who wants to wrestle about 40 miles around his house, 
uh, I don't want you at my gym. I, I don't need you. I want guys that want to take over the world. Okay, I, I've busted my ass and uh, paid my dues. I waited nine years before I ever taught anybody anything about the business, working three to five times a week. You know, uh, I'm I'm sick of con artists that are out there just out to make money off these guys. You know, leave leave them standing the way that I felt at Al Snow's. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, uh, boy, you got me going, man, talking about shit that I take real personal. Boy, here we go. <laughs> Now, um, how, how did you end up in uh, the Memphis area working for Kick-Ass Wrestling? Oh, that's great. Uh, Bull Payne, who uh, I lived with Bull when I had some wild stuff going on in my life. Uh, he took me in. I, I almost cons- consider Bull almost like a father figure. I said that the other day, and it fucking made it bluster. So. But, yeah, Bull Payne uh, was given part of the book down there. And he said, man, I think you could really do some good things here. I set up to go down there uh, through Bull and was supposed to take over the teaching at the KAW camp and uh, ended up there and started helping produce TV and uh, did that and helped put together storylines with them and helped create Izzy High, man, which was... (laughs) Uh, a Shoot. fun gimmick, nonetheless. Oh, oh man, let me tell let me tell you how fun Memphis was. All right, Memphis TV. Imagine this: they give me the microphone, and I say, "All right, Memphis, I'm going to be down on Beale Street on Saturday afternoon, and if you show up Saturday afternoon, you're going to get all the weed you need." And weed stood for Wrestling's Extreme Execution Daredevil, W E E D. All right. Mm-hmm. So Saturday afternoon in the middle of Beale Street, Memphis, Tennessee, I got about 500 people standing around me as I'm basically standing on a lifter, cutting a promo for the local television. We had, you know, I don't understand. I don't know if people understand how we used to do that. We used to uh, cut like bicycle tapes. Do you understand what a bicycle tape was? Uh huh. Where where you'd send it to one station. the loop, yeah. Yeah, yeah, work the loop. So we'd do those local promos there, and I'm standing cutting a promo with 500 people chanting, weed, 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 and it's just deafening. You wouldn't believe it. Just, uh, it was wonderful. Dundee was there. Oh, man. <laughs> you put me and Jamie Dundee on the road together, it's going to be a blast anytime. So. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I come from well, Dundee and, you know, Chic and, you know. <laughs> I heard Manny up here talking about Dusty and these guys and that and that and the other. Well, God bless you, man. I I came from guys that we had a lot of fun and we knew how to, you know, put asses in seats and make money, you know. So today, don't get me wrong, man. They, I have nothing but respect for that generation. I worked with those generation guys. But, yeah, we had a lot of fun in our time, too. <laughs> Well, you mentioned Jamie Dundee. Um, JC has been on been on my show before, and uh, has he? Oh, that must have I, been a blast, man! Oh my God, more than you know, brother. <laughs> we were both gimmicked out of our mind, but you know that's, that's oh, all fine and dandy. So, yes. uh, please give me a Jamie Dundee road story. Oh shit! Put me on the spot here. Uh, let's see. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Trying to think of one that would be somewhat appropriate, man. With uh, all right, here you go. 
And Dundee and I, we used to go to this bar in uh, Memphis. They used to pay us at different times to watch Raw there on Monday night to draw their locals in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was uh, Denim and Diamonds might have been the name of the bar, actually. But uh, we had done this for a few weeks, and uh, <laughs> these girls had said to us, now you've seen all of us naked, and we've seen neither one of you naked. And we just kind of laughed it off. I did anyways. But old Dundee, man, <laughs> later at night, he's walking around the bar. And he says, hey, y- y'all seen my bulldog? <laughs> they said, Dundee, you didn't come in with no bulldog. He said, I-, I go everywhere with my bulldog, man. My bulldog goes everywhere with me. They said, Jamie, you ain't got no bulldog here. And Jamie dropped his pants down around his ankles tucked his nuts between his legs and got down on all fours and was walking around. You see, it's a bulldog. It's a bulldog right here. Look, it's a little bulldog. Yeah. There's Jamie Dundee. That's just one of many, man. Oh, boy. Yeah, you got Yeah, imagine traveling with that, huh? Come on, Dundee. We got to get out the bar. Come on, man. Come on. Oh, they love us here, man. They love us. We can hang out. Literally, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Shit. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> when, when you were, when you were working in, um, in, for KAW, uh, yeah. what, what were your feelings on Mr. Golden, the owner? Uh, uh, clueless, I would say. He's a good businessman, uh, somewhat clueless, man, really and truly. I, the guy... The guy got took, really and truly. Jerry Lawler, Jerry Lawler was getting beat weekly, and anybody can go online and look it up. It sounds like you know every every old wrestler. I love it when they get online or they get on these radio interviews. We were selling out the joint left and right. We were kicking ass in the ratings. You know, everybody's got the same story, but uh, we were beating Lawler pretty much weekly in the ratings. And uh, what happened is, is Lawler got into Terry Golden's ear. And he promised him this, that, and the other. And once Lawler got his little greasy fingers in there, man, the old kink. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, yeah, once Lawler got his fingers in there, man, there, there was no turning back, man. And I, I knew the writing was on the walls once I heard Lawler was coming in. I was up. Time for me to go, man. And I split before anybody, you know. I always thought it was cooler to quit before you got fired, you know. <laughs> It left you a little bit more marketable. Maybe the people want to see you come back a little more. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> Terry, so, Funk made the, Terry Funk made the greatest quote like that. He said, uh, a career is nothing but a series of comebacks. And that's, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and retirements. Yeah, hey, it's always a big comeback, baby shit. And, and as long as the people want to see you, you keep coming back, hell. I'm hoping if the Ian Rotten will ever give a call, I'm not begging. Uh, God, don't think that because you know, I've worked for less. But uh, anyhow, uh, uh, yeah, hopefully, as I said, I, I haven't worked in a few months. I've had some injuries myself. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'd love to come back maybe one one time to do that thing for Roland, man. Again, August 31st, everybody, August 31st, Sellersburg, Indiana. I had to keep plugging it, man. You have to pardon me. I'm a, I'm a shill for this. So. Hey, it's all gravy, man. It's all good. Well, you, you mentioned uh, Ian Rotten. Uh, what, what do you think of Ian, first off, as a worker, 
and then second off as a promoter and boss. Uh, hmm. Let's start Boy. with Worker first. Uh, there was a market for what he did, you know. I mm-hmm. think uh, I think a lot of bad business decisions, you know, one way or the other for this guy or that guy, I'm not going to point blame, you know. Uh, had things to do with IWA, but as a worker, yeah, he's he's had a market and he's played to that market. Good for him, you know. As a business guy, I don't know, you know. I'm not one to cast stones. I don't run a company, you understand. Okay, you know, I don't understand the stresses that go with that. But yeah. I, I I know I I would have done things different, but it's not my money, you know. So see I see how I try to swerve that you know, the old dipsy do there. How how about Slick, huh? some memories how about some memories from the old Kmart building back in the day? Man, I didn't know. Three hundred, three fifty, somewhere around there every week. Good God, man! That 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 was fun, man, and that's something that these guys will never understand again, really and truly. And if they can, God bless them. I hope that more people build up territory like that. Uh, you always had to come up with something different. And understand, I was working with the same guy for a year, at least, in front of the same people every week. So, in order to stay you know, fresh or, you know, at least where where we hadn't killed our marketability, we always had to be different. And I, I think that's a forgotten art because you've seen one of these guys, you've seen them all, it seems like. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was it was a blast, man. I got to, you know, I, at one point I was considered, you know, it sounds like blowing my horn, and I hope it really doesn't, man, but at one time I was considered one of the best cruiserweights in the United States. You know, to be considered that, I have to give a lot of that credit to Ian Rotten for giving me a format to work. You understand? If I didn't, if I didn't have a format to work in, nobody, nobody know who the hell Frank was, right? So, so I, I give him that credit. He at that time, it, it, it was at the right time, the right place. You know. So. Now, just just for the listeners that that, that uh, have never seen this this time period IWM itself uh, smartmarkvideo.com is remastering and re-releasing um, pretty much every show that, that uh, they've filmed so they go all the yeah, way I back hope to they send me, 97 I hope they and, send me copies of that man because they don't have a release of my image or anything send me copies or send me some money I'd like well, to see contact, some of that stuff you can contact Mike Burns Mike Burns <laughs> yeah. at smartmarkvideo.com <laughs> Um, I like Mike, but, man. I'm just I'm, I'm bullshitting. Please don't take it serious. I'm goofing off. <laughs> I, li- I like Mike personally. He's a, he's actually a pretty nice guy. So. Well, we're we're gonna discuss uh, some IWA. Um, All right, come on. Well, I, I was there, man. First show. Well, well, one of my one of my personal favorites, uh, Chris Hero. Uh, Chris what Hero, do you think of Chris? I seen Chris coming before a lot of people did, man. Uh, I had some neck injuries and some uh, problems with my back and I knew I was going to have to take some time off and I I went to Ian and I said hey I I want to work with this guy I want this to be the guy that I leave out on you understand mm-hmm. and uh, I, did, I did a six or seven match program with him which ended in a big tables and ladders and we did some stuff out of a balcony, which was just absolutely insane. And you know, as an older gentleman, I'd never ever attempt some shit like that again. But uh, 
Chris is Chris is a talent, man. What can you say about him? He was he was the chubby guy how many years ago and look what kind of shape he's in, man. That that says nothing but great things about his work ethic. You you, you understand? Mm-hmm. It, the the guy busts his ass and it shows and you know, his work his work's a tribute to that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, another guy that, that came through at that time, or actually was a bunch of them, uh, the guys from uh, Chicago, uh, the uh, Second City Saints, the, that would be Ace Steel, um, Cole well, Cabana, and, and who's that other guy? He's carrying around that belt on Mondays. Um, oh, oh, CM Punk. That's oh, right. God, you're going to get me started on <laughs> well, CM Punk. Well, I'm putting yeah, this talk- shout out right now. Hold on a second, man. Because sure. my students, my students are gonna love this, and I'm putting this out right now. And this isn't a shot at at CM Punk, really a shot. But man, the next time you are in town, or the next time you can get a hold of me, please get a hold of me so I can show you how to throw a kick correctly. My God, are those the sloppiest things you've ever seen in your life? Man, I, I've seen 12-year-old kids who have taken Taekwondo at the Y know that those kicks, those kicks are just absolutely god-awful, man. Nothing, you know, uh, that if you're going to portray a gimmick, at least know the gimmick, you know. And as a, as a martial artist and anybody who's who's been in any kind of martial arts or has actually been in a fight, you know that you can't throw a kick with your hands at your waist. <laughs> <laughs> So are are you surprised that that Punk is the world heavyweight champion? No, he's the perfect 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 marketing machine for them right now. Why? Why is he the perfect marketing machine for them? Well, with all the drug issues they've had in the past. Exactly. Exactly. And they he haven't he's the poster boy. The poster boy for a new generation because he looks like just about all these emo kids that you see, you mm-hmm. know. And they can relate. It's just the same as people related to Steve Austin, man. Everybody wanted to kick their boss's ass. And now they're playing to that demographic we were talking before about what? The lowest common denominator, right? There it is. Okay. If you play the lowest common denominator, you've got to put something that they can relate to in front of them. And that's, that's not a shot at the fans, but that's what their market is right now. They haven't played to... To somebody who's got an IQ above an eight-year-old, maybe. So, <laughs> so what am I going to do? Am I in danger of losing a job? Vince don't give a shit what I think, man. That's just reality, you know. True. Now, are you? I, I'm surprised. I'm not sure if you are, but that Colt Cabana is still, still in their damn developmental and not up there. He's one guy that I thought would have skipped the whole developmental and just showed up on ECW or, or Raw or SmackDown. Um, well, that, that goes back to let's let's go. To, this was a great discussion I was having earlier. Actually, let's talk about how you read in the uh, when these guys get set free or let loose of these contracts or fired, as they say. And they say the reason they're fired is because the writers couldn't come up with something for them. Now, whose fault is that? You know what I mean? Writers. If you've, if, yeah, if you've got the best jockey in the world, but you put him on a shit horse, he can beat that horse to death, but it's not going to run, right? True. 
Okay, same goes with these guys, man. If you don't put them in the roles that are reflected to them to where people can relate, we go back to it's got to be a reflection of our society, you know, for people to be to be able to relate to these guys. And once you've lost that, then you've lost your market, you know. Very good point. Very good point. So you you've you've brought up uh, training guys. Um, what, honestly, what, what do you think is the most important part that that you can teach a young boy just walking well, into your dojo? Let me let me let me at first give guys a guidebook of things to look for if you're going to training. Okay. If you're going to go train to be a pro wrestler, number one, the guy who is training you has had to have done it himself, okay? If a guy promises you that he can take you to the WWE, I can take you to TNA, I can take you here, I can take you there, well, how come you're not working there, you know? <laughs> Very do, good you understand what I, do you understand what I mean? I, I, I've watched airplanes take off for years, man, but I'd never attempt to fly one, nor would I attempt to teach somebody how to fly one if I'd never been there or done it myself. So when these guys take this business, and I, I take it very, very, very personally, that when these guys treat this business like a con, a scam, especially as the trainers, because it it, it destroys and it cheapens our business, and it takes away the, any hope of these guys making any kind of money. And that's that's what, you know, I thought the bottom line of this was, was to try to make a dollar, you know. And now, they, they, they piss in their own, their own pool. Now, Frank, do you consider yourself an artist? Yeah, most definitely. I think the business is has been looked past as such an art form. Uh, the The... When people, they had written a long time ago, I say a long time ago, not too long ago, they had always had the argument of real and fake, okay? And when what they weren't seeing it for what it was and what it is is two guys in a live format with no retakes going out performing their own stunts, okay? And as I said, in front of a live crowd, and they've got to use their bodies to tell that story. All right? Now, no other form of theater, no other form of film does that. Okay? And when when they look past the business as an art form, it's really it's really easy, really passe, you understand? And uh, that that's where I, I think a lot of people don't get it. And it's, it's looked at uh, still as that beer drinking carny sport or whatever and it, that's so far from what it really is you know very good point very good point um let's see let's uh let's talk about the quote-unquote dirt sheets um okay. what are your opinions on uh uh wade keller who's a goof um brian alvarez a figure <laughs> probably, who is really really talented as far as chico writing. alvarez <laughs> Chico, yeah, he's a good guy, and uh, yeah. and the the guru Dave Meltzer. Uh, what are your opinions on the sheet writers out there? There's a market for it. 
or we wouldn't be talking about it, right? Very true. So if there's a market for it, somebody's going to have to feed that market. Now, you know, opinions are like assholes. Every one of us has got one. Most of them fucking stink. But uh, it's, you know, it's, there's a market for it. Somebody's going to do it, you know. Uh, as I said, uh, people people can be smart to the business. And this, this, is, this is an old-time saying, man, and I still live by it. You can be smart to the business, but you're not smart to my business. You understand? No watts. That, and that's that's Cowboy the truth. Watts. That's that's, the that's truth. his ideology. And that's that's my ideology. And anybody that has any kind of respect for this business or respect for this craft, you know, I don't know how David Copperfield made that Statue of Liberty disappear. I just know I didn't see that damn thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated by this. It's it's that same logic, man. The, the fans are only as smart as you let them be. And believe it or not, all you guys that are out there and you work for the quote-unquote smart marks, those are the easiest guys to work because they want to believe. I'm sorry, I raised my voice to emphasize a point there. They're the easiest to work. You, you know. But instead, these guys go out here and what do they do? They get worked by the people. <laughs> it's so funny. It's funny to anybody who's been in the business for any kind of time. They get worked by these people. Shit, scream boring when I worked or when I was out there. And guess what we got? Uh, you thought that shit was boring? Well, check this side headlock out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these guys, you know, the guys are forgetting who's working who. And yeah, I don't know. It's different. It's a different business, I guess. I don't know. I, I I I like to teach the art form, man. I, I like it. That's what I like. Yeah, that's that's my belief as well. Um, I mean, it really, wrestling has become, if you if you want to put it in an art sense, anybody, anybody can do paint by numbers, okay? But how many Van Goghs were out there? You know, how many Rembrandts? Yeah, you Thank understand you. what I mean? Anybody oh, can paint by numbers. I can teach anybody how to do the moves. I Give me a trained ape, man. I can teach a trained monkey how to do any move in the wrestling business. But if that an ape doesn't know when to kick it in like a bad son of a bitch and know when to back off like a chicken shit motherfucker, you understand? None of them moves mean shit. None of them. And I don't give a damn how many fancy flips you do and whatever, you know. If you if you don't know when, why, or any kind of rhyme and reason or psychology why you're doing that, I always ask my students when they're doing matches, okay, why'd you do that? And if you can't answer me immediately why you did that, then you had no business doing it because everybody in that crowd is going to ask, well, why in the hell did you do that? And if you can't answer it, then they can't figure it out either. Mm, very good point. Well, we... we uh we just scratched the surface on, um, you know, drug use and, and professional wrestling. Um, oh, sure. What, what, what are your feelings on, on steroid use and abuse? Um, I think uh, there's a place for it, honestly. I really do. Uh, I Under think, moderation? Like, yeah, of course. Uh, brother, if you take 50 aspirin, you would be the last fucking aspirin you take, right? True. <laughs> uh, 
same as any other drug, narcotic, or anything like that. Uh, I think they have a place, but I think under under supervision and watchful eye, it's fine. Uh, that's 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 my opinion of it. You can't wrestling is the only business quote unquote sport where these guys don't have an off season. And when you're on top, man, and uh, I can tell you and. I might be blowing my own horn, but every place I ever worked at, I was a feature guy, all right? And that was television, that was on the road, and the body can only take so much. And if you give up that spot, guess what? There's a younger guy, there's somebody more than happy to take that spot from you. And a lot of these guys don't know when to let it go, man, and that's what's killing these guys. And we, we touched on a little bit earlier, uh... I truly, truly understand the depression that, that that comes from this, and just trying to figure out what the hell to do in life next, man. I've I've been in the business 18 years, man. I don't know how to do anything else, man. If you if you put me in other situations besides music, something to do with art or wrestling, I'm a social retard, man, completely and totally. That's uh, because in order to be good at this business. You have to be completely obsessed with it. You you do, and it's got to be your life. And uh, and when you get wrapped up that deeply in this, and it does become your life, sometimes it's hard to let go. And some guys, when they do, it, it becomes a real struggle, man. And God bless them. I know right now my life expectancy is only 45 years old. You know, that's statistically speaking because I've been a professional wrestler for 18 years. You know, that's that's reality. And uh, what what a thing to look at in the face, right? There you go. Well, that's, uh, that's quite a testimony. Uh, before we wrap up here, brother, um, I was asked by okay, one of your students, ahead. by one of your students anonymously, Okay. To cut a promo. Oh, and what? I would like for you to cut this promo on CM Punk. Punk. CM, CM Punk. Punk. All right. CM Punk, I understand that you're the world champion. I understand that you've done many, many, many things. But understand this. After 18 years in the wrestling business, there's one thing that you can't do. And that's teach me anything. Understand that if you come under my guidance, CM Punk, that you, yes you, will look like an actual martial artist. You, yes you, will actually look like you know something about mixed martial arts. You, yes you, can actually live up to the gimmick that they're writing you under. CM Punk, I have nothing but respect for you, and I wish you nothing but the best. But please get in contact with me so I can teach you some martial arts, man. I love you. <laughs> Tremendous. Well, Frankie, thank you for your time. It was. Now let me get you know, a quick plug in, real quick, for you. Oh, cut sure, me off. please. Uh, everybody, I'm going to say it once again. Uh, please help out Roland Montgomery, the family. He's at U of L Hospital. Uh, the fundraiser, as far as I know, is August 31st, Sellersburg, Indiana. Check me out at uh, myspace.com slash amkickboxer. You can also check out Truth Martini at the same uh, MySpace, Truth Martini. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time, man. Oh, Frankie, it was my pleasure, brother. It was uh, definitely fun. Well, uh, 
have to have you on again. Um, hey, thanks, maybe man. we it's can uh, maybe we can get truth on and you know. Oh, that'd be great. Because uh, you know there are a couple things that you know I didn't get to touch on, but you know there's. You know there's who always... you need to talk to who you've got a market for that nobody's really hit on yet. And I'll put this out to your listeners. You guys can send emails, whatever. Bull Payne is the guy you need to talk to, man. There you go. I'm serious, I'm serious as a heart attack. Bull Payne, well, AWA, the whole bit, man. He's the guy. For uh, for my listeners out there, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get Bull Payne on the show because, uh, you know, that's what I do. I'm I'm here for the listeners. But, uh, Frank, thanks for coming on, brother. It was It was my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your interest, guys. Thank you for this format. All right, brother. You take it easy, and I will talk to you very, very soon. Yep, peace. All right, thanks, Frank. Okay, that was uh, Frank the American Kickboxer, uh, independent journeyman, 18 years in the business, uh, tremendous talent. Um, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to wrap up here, fogcitywrestling.com. Uh, check them out, see what's going on with them, and uh, wrestlewarehouse.com. Uh, the Michael Modest and Ballard Brothers shoot, in, shoot interviews are available for immediate shipping, or you can get them from Jeff at the NWA Legends Fan Fest in North Carolina, August 14th through the 17th, www.nwalegends.com. Um, you can get our show archives at rubberguardradio.com for the first 32, and everything after would be at blogtalkradio.com backslash Rubber Guard Radio, and also I'd like to throw a little shout-out to Big D and the Super Friends. Um, they are the newest podcast from the AngryMarks.com podcast network. Um, anything from the Angry Marks, man, are really, really good. Uh, good stuff there. And tomorrow we'll be live on the air at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern for an hour running down the lineups for UFC 87 and it'll be a double shot with uh, Rubber Guard Radio and the Drunk Cast. So we'll talk to you guys tomorrow.